Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Many wine producers make wine that they want to drink, or wine that expresses the vineyards from which it's grown. But it isn't too often that you hear a winemaker say, our goal is to make wine that our customers want to drink. Well, that's exactly the goal of K.R. Rombauer of Rombauer Vineyards in Napa Valley. I sat down with K.R. at the beginning of the 2018 harvest to talk about making wine to meet his customers' tastes. We also discussed his family's commitment to staying family-owned during this period of giant corporations buying out so many family-run wineries. And of course, we tasted some delicious wine. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. Joining me today is K.R. Rombauer of Rombauer Vineyards. We're here in Napa Valley during harvest. Thanks for spending some time with me. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Now, your family's not originally from Napa Valley, but you're a mainstay in Napa Valley. Tell me how your family came to Napa Valley and a little history behind the winery. Absolutely. Well, it, it, we feel like locals. Uh, we moved to the valley in 1972. My father was an airline pilot, flew for Braniff International from 1965 through 82, and just had, uh, had a wonderful time. Uh, loved flying all over the country, loved food, loved people, loved wine. And uh, mandatory retirement was at age 60 uh, at that point in time for pilots. So he knew he was going to need something else to do. He became very interested uh, while flying for Braniff uh, back and forth from the United States uh, to Vietnam. And it was common that the airlines would have contracts with the government to fly troops and equipment back and forth. And he and my mother, while we were living in Walnut Creek, California, got to know the Napa Valley and fell in love with it. That was that was uh, the lead-in for us to get hit here into the Napa Valley. Once we moved here in 72, it's it was very common that you'd get to know grape growers and winemakers and winery owners, and he just really um, fell in love with the business. Now, how did you get into wine? Well, I was, uh, I was inexpensive uh, child labor <laughs> and uh, really enjoyed the adventure of, you know, having the privilege to work with my parents, and, and that allowed us to uh, slowly but surely under, grow and, and understand uh, grape growing, winemaking, the ins and outs of the wine business. So uh, for me, looking at some of the other wonderful wineries throughout the valley, Robert Mondavi, uh, Louis Martini, Silver Oak, uh, the list goes on. It just made sense to uh, to put my put all my eggs in one basket and jump into the wine business with with my parents and you know what a great opportunity and great privilege. Terrific. Now Rombauer owns owns uh, vineyards all throughout Napa Valley. Tell me about some of the specific sites that you're growing grapes in and what you're doing with them and why each site's unique. Well, what, what we discovered early on, we did not have our own vineyards. We bought fruit from grape growers. Uh, and what you learn uh, after you get down the road about 10, you know, 5, 8, 10 years is you're as good as your raw product. So you need incredible raw product to, that gives you the opportunity to make incredible finished product. You buy average fruit, you're going to make average wine. 
you buy extraordinary fruit or, or great fruit, it's going to give you the opportunity to make extraordinary wines. You can still mess up along the way. Sure. <laughs> but you can't, you can't take good fruit and, or bad fruit and make it better. It's hard to take average fruit and, and make it extraordinary. Right. So um, we, we just learned over the years that if, if we wanted to have the staying power and be successful in the wine business, we were going to need to have our own vineyards that we had more control over that we knew the sites were exceptional and allowed us to produce world-class Napa Valley wines. Where are some of the sites? So we have vineyards throughout uh, the Napa Valley. We have vineyards up in the Calistoga area on Bennett Lane. We have vineyards uh, in St. Helena. Uh, We have uh, vineyards down in the Stags Leap area, the Atlas Peak area. Uh, and then we purchase fruit from grape growers in other AVAs, other Appalachians, uh, the Rutherford area, the Mount Veter area in the past, um, Coombsville, uh, and then we have a, a fair amount of vineyards down in the Carneros region as well. Wow, so you're really taking advantage of everything Napa Valley has to offer as opposed to some maybe little winery that's in let's just say Rutherford, and all they do is Rutherford. You're really taking advantage of everything Napa Valley can offer. It's, it's interesting to work your way around the different AVAs, American viticultural areas, and understand what, what, those different, uh, what makes those so special and how that fits into your style of wine. You know, you, you, you do a fair amount of bottlings here, too. What kind of wines are you making? So um, we started out in 1980 producing Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, in Napa Valley. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then in 82, we started producing Chardonnay. In 83, we started producing Merlot. And in 1990, we started producing Zinfandel. We thought about it for uh, approximately 10 years and finally um, pushed ourselves a little bit more and started producing Sauvignon Blanc in 2014. We make some beautiful Cabernet, some beautiful Merlot, Zinfandel. We have a uh, a very favorite style of uh, Chardonnay, and we just didn't want to interrupt that uh, what we had going on. And, and then we finally came to the conclusion that the varietals are so uniquely different that it it certainly made sense to uh, to give it give Sauvignon Blanc a shot. Sure, you know you talked about the style of of the wine, and particularly the style of your Chardonnay is well known. If you had to give me sort of an overall snapshot of what is the philosophy of winemaking and the style of wine you're making here overall, what would you tell me about that? Well, it's for us, it's critical that it is uh, not only that, that we love it, but more importantly, that our customers love it. We realize that we're in a want business. When I say that, everybody needs water and, and other uh, staples. They don't need wine. They want wine. And so if we can make a style of wine that is also a need item, have to go to the store and get some, get some milk or water or whatever it is and uh, some rum barrel wine, we knew we'd be in business. <laughs> That's terrific. And, and so you, you just you have to eat and drink with your customers. You have to experience with them uh, the thrill and victory of buying wines off of a wine list, whether you're very well versed or you're just getting into wines. It can be very intimidating. For sure. Um, and so we want people to be comfortable with wines. We want people to enjoy wines. We want them to be able to share it with their friends and, and create memories and, and have, you know, just have a wonderful uh, lunch or a dinner event 
and um, hopefully we become one of those those marked memories. Mm-hmm. The 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 style of I know your Chardonnay in particular has a wide mass appeal. I mean, it, the way you described it is exactly sort of <laughs> how I envision Rombauer in the marketplace. It's it's that wine that so many consumers go to. And it has a style, though, that while having a great mass appeal, maybe doesn't always meet a critical appeal as well. How do you, how do you balance that? Well, it, it, I think you have to be true to your customer. And if they're the people that are spending the money to buy your product, the critics aren't spending the money. Then, then we just have to be aware of that. And um, I drink a lot of other people's wines. I, I'm always exploring and, and studying. And you know, while there there might be some wines I try that aren't necessarily my style, I can't help but appreciate well-made wines. Well, of course, of course. Um, some of them are leaner and more austere. Some of them are you know, incredibly full-bodied or very extracted. There's no right or wrong. You know, what you learn in the business is there's just a lot of different uh, styles, a lot of different options. Um, I think that, you know, Robert Mondavi was very inspiring for my father, and uh, Margaret and Robert were just incredible uh, people. And they, they taught us all a lot about entertaining, about taking care of your customers, hospitality, uh, food, wine, art, and how they're all meant to go together. So we, we, just, we just try to stay true to our customer and make sure that they're uh, enjoying what we do. We do that every day here at the winery, out on the road, whether we're at a charity event or a wine dinner, um, or, or just out there presenting to our restaurant tours and retailers that uh, are so supportive and, and buy our wines to make sure that what we're doing is still relevant. Sure. What's your what's your production? What's the general production size? Um, Rumbauer Vineyards is is uh, uh, over one hundred and fifty thousand cases, um, and, and Chardonnay is the driver on sure. that. Chardonnay is about uh, 68 percent, and um, it's it's something that just took off for us. It took us about eight or nine years to figure out how to develop this more distinct California style Chardonnay. And we have we have some to try today when when that opportunity presents itself. Um, but it, it we enjoyed a lot of other people's wines. Obviously, back in the day, you know, going back oh heavens, twenty years ago, in, you know, enjoying Kistler, enjoying Sonoma Cotrere, and and everything, and many other beautiful Chardonnays out there. Um, and my dad always said, "Boy, if we could do something like that, but a little less expensive, we we <laughs> you could be, hit, right? We could be in business." <laughs> well, that's terrific. You know, we're at the beginning of the 2018 harvest here in Napa Valley. How's things looking for the 2018 vintage? Uh, we're very, very excited. Um, it, so far, so good. We're getting great hang time. We're having, uh, you know, some nice growing weather. Not too hot. Not too cold. We're a little bit behind schedule. Um, but, you know, some vintages are like that. Some sure. vintages we're going to be a little, uh, you know, five, eight days ahead of schedule. Some vintages it's right on the mark and other vintages can push us back eight or ten days. So, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, Mother Nature is normally pretty kind to us and uh, we're able to get the fruit in before rains come and uh, start to kind of dilute and, and uh, change the, the wonderful concentrations of the grapes. Terrific. Should we take some wine? I'd love to. That'd Let's be, do that. That'd be fantastic. 
we're going to try a little bit of the 2000, uh, well, let me get this, the 2017 Rumbauer Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, this is 100% barrel or, uh, stainless steel fermented, 100% stainless steel fermented. And it's bright, it's fresh, and it's meant to be a, a, a drink me now type Sauvignon okay. Blanc. Um, well, it has some wonderful citrus notes, grapefruit, key lime. Well, you're going to get nuances of white nectarine, pear, green apple. Aromas mm. that really jump out of the glass. Yeah. It's, it's not there's, a... There's a good amount of floral notes to it as well. It's not just It's just not all fruit. Somewhat exotic, but not as tropical as, say, a New Zealand South Blanc can get. Correct. It's... It's uh, it strikes a nice bounce. It's not that lean, austere, um, wet, weedy, grassy kind of Sauvignon Blanc, which in its own right is can be very lovely. And this this has a lot of uh, that, as you said, that floral, aromatic, that citrus. Uh, it was a very strategic or very purpose-driven style of Sauvignon Blanc that we enjoyed, and after observing what our customers. Uh, were enjoying this. This was a style that we just couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't resist putting together. Where's the fruit for this coming from? This is coming out of uh, in Napa County, out of the uh, Pope Valley area. Yep. So, and 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 then we have a we have a, another a site uh, as well that we're getting the fruit from in in Napa County. So we kind of keep hunting and pecking around to see what's out there and and um, what allows us to produce this particular style of Sauvignon Blanc that uh, is just a real showstopper. Yeah, while, while it has that pretty fruit, you know, clearly New World fruit to it, there's a really nice bright acidity to it that really lifts it up to keep it fresh on the palate and keep you coming back to the glass for another sip. Great, great by itself, not overpowering, also lovely with food. Mm-hmm. What's next? All right, we've got some beautiful Chardonnay. And if I can get my corkscrew undone here. Okay, we've got some beautiful Chardonnay. This is our 2017 Carnero Chardonnay as well. And this is uh, one of the one of the wines that uh, put us on the map. Sure did. And with your Chardonnay, are you purchasing some fruit for that too, or is that all is that all your own estate fruit? About a 50% is estate, and about 50% is from grape growers. Great. And this comes out of both, uh, well, it comes out of the Canaros region. The Canaros region, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the few AVAs that spans both Napa, Napa County and, and Sonoma, Sonoma right. So beautiful golden straw color. A Chardonnay that we pick, whole cluster press, uh, goes through about a one-hour press cycle, goes direct into the fermentation tank, or the uh, stainless steel tanks for some settling. And then we rack off of that into 60-gallon oak barrels. Okay. And we French. do our, we do our prime, uh, predominantly American oak. American oak. Yes. Uh, Demptos Barrel Cooperage is a great uh, cooperage for us. Um, we're about 80% American oak, 20% French oak. Okay. And is that throughout the winery or just for the Chardonnay? For the Chardonnay okay. and, the, and the Zinfandel. Yeah. The oak is present on the nose. And obviously a good bit of Lee's work with this, too. It's yes. got a... Good so degree of creaminess. 100% barrel fermented, 100% secondary fermentation, and 100% Surly's Age. So it is a full option Chardonnay that has a, we call it a red wine drinker's white wine. It has a lot of palate weight. 
a lot of viscosity and a lot of pallet weight. So it's it's uh, touches so many points on the pallet that thankfully our customers find uh, very enjoyable. You know, it has that it has that creaminess and that richness and the layers that you're going to get from the secondary fermentation, the lactic fermentation, malolactic fermentation, and also the the surly's aging adds layers and nuances to the wine. Mm-hmm. So the, the, and the fruit is kind of in that golden apple kind of exactly. profile rather than that more lemon-lime. Yeah, I mean... Uh, at least on the nose. Coming out of the Camaros yet. region, we, we get a nice uh, high-acid uh, Chardonnay fruit that allows us to do all this work we do with it, barrel fermentation, secondary fermentation, without it kind of getting... Uh, a little bit uh, flat. Are the vineyards on both the Napa and Sonoma side of Caneros, or are they predominantly on one side? Uh, we get fruit out of out of both, both Napa County and Sonoma County. Correct. I see what you mean when you say this is the red wine drinker's white wine because <laughs> sometimes the white wine they can be so high in acidity that it just like rips right down the center of your tongue. Where the texture on this really envelops your whole mouth kind of like a, like a velvet like a velvet sweater or something very very uh, you know rich but not overpowering mm-hmm. mouth is a big word that we like to use you know we want it we want it to have this beautiful entry this high note in the mid-range palate and a nice lingering finish but we expect the, the wine to do that politely and and not be uh, you know overdone one of the things I think that really helps balance it out is and i'm surprised this surprised me because that initial lushness to the whole wine there's a nice bit of minerality at the end yes where that comes through that you don't often get with a wine of this kind of body what we've found is further up the valley we we don't get that uh, because of the warmer weather the cooler weather and the soils down there in the Carneros region allow us to achieve this minerality, uh, this 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 bounce, this richness, this lushness that um, we we really enjoy, and more importantly, our customers love. Yeah, long too. We're in, and we're always trying to you know we know there's a particular style and expectation, a consistency that is appreciated. Um, and, and that comes really from the vineyards, uh, year in and year out, and the, a great winemaking wine team uh, that is very focused on delivering to our customers this this particular uh, California-style Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And what do we have next? Well, we have lots of wines, but to keep us just a little bit focused, I thought it would be great to do the, the Rumbar. We did the start out with the Rumbar Sauvignon Blanc de Chardonnay. We're going to go to the uh, Diamond Selection, the Rumbar Diamond Selection Cabernet. So this well, what's is a Diamond Selection mean? So this is a reserve-style Cabernet that we started producing around 1993 uh, or 94. I think 1994. And it originally came out of the Diamond Mountain region, and we worked with fruit from that area for about uh, up through about 2001 and then we we just couldn't quite hit the style of Cabernet that we wanted to the Diamond Mountains incredible grape growing region um, so we we transitioned over to uh, a vineyard in uh, Calistoga off of Bennett Lane that we own and and that was really uh, 
delicious, but was a vineyard that presented itself on the south end of St. Lenum in the center of the valley, well-drained, gravelly soil uh, that really allowed us to achieve the style of wine that we wanted to with hmm. the uh, Rumbauer uh, Diamond Selection Cabernet. So that's where the fruit's been coming from for this wine uh, for quite a while now. And we just think it's a, it's a beautiful expression of Napa Valley Cabernet. Deep color. Yeah, deep, dark, ruby red color. Mm-hmm. Um, yet supple tannins. That's a big thing. If we go back when we first started making Cabernets, say, 80s through 85. Cabernets in the 80s were grippy and a little were, green. They and were big. And uh, people would taste them and go, oh, that's got great bones. It's going to be a beautiful wine in 20 years. Right. Well, our, our customers were asking for wines that they could buy and enjoy much sooner. And, I, you know, probably the reality is many people buy wines and drink them within 24 hours, if not within four hours. And so we realized that we needed to split um, and, and produce a style that has ageability, yet has approachability. And I mean, modern winemakers really come around in the past 10, 15 years to allow that, where you can make a wine, you can drink it now and enjoy it, or you can wait to 20 years. Absolutely. And, and, and not everybody has wine cellars. Not everybody has the patience or time to lay down wines. So we need to make wines that um, are approachable and drinkable upon purchase, uh, whether that's right. right when they buy it or, you know, in, in 24 hours or, or four months. Uh, the, the reality is that most people aren't laying down their Cabernets for 5, 10, 15 years. Right. It's always a pleasure to try those older ones. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> and see how they've integrated and how they've settled down and um, the beautiful uh, aromas and flavors that, that these older Cabernets present. Wow, well, this is uh, on the palate. This is Napa. You can taste the sunshine in this. It's, uh, the fruit is just so there. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those sites for us, one of those vineyards that, you know, grow... Grow gr- incredible fruit, raise that fruit up, right? And um, y- if you do, the the more you can do correctly in the vineyard, easier it is when that fruit comes to the winery for the winemaking team. Mm-hmm. We have we have a lot of great people um, throughout the winery that allow us to consistently achieve a delicious style of wine. Yeah, and this I get on this wine, I'm getting like. Black plum and blackberry and some mocha and Black a little bit cherry, of clove. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's subtle yet it's 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 there and uh, supple tannins, no astringency, no bitterness. Mm. Let this fruit get ripe, and the tannins are are there as they should be with Cabernet, but they're very fine. And I think I find that with 14s, you know, I I always say that. 2014 Napa Cabernet is the vintage you should be drinking while you're waiting for your 13s and 15s to come around. <laughs> I love that term you just used to describe tannins. You know, there's very fine tannins. Uh, and I think we're all working very, uh, very, very uh, hard to make sure that we want people to, to know that it's a Cabernet and keep it within that varietal box, if you will, and not get too far out so that rather they're they're tasting it blind 
or they're looking at the label, as you said, they, they know it's a Cabernet. They know it's a well, well-tailored suit that is, <laughs> That's is a way to describe this. going to deliver right now. Yet if you have the patience to let it age for three, six, uh, nine years, you, you will be rewarded by further integration of the fruit and, and of the tannins. Uh, and you get that kind of that velvet glove style of Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Before we get on the taste of the last wine, let's talk a little bit about being a family-owned and a family-operated winery. You know, one of the things that's happening in Napa Valley these days is that, in Napa and Sonoma, actually, the big boys are buying up all the, the cool little guys. Talk to me a little bit about your family's commitment to staying family-owned and why that's important. Well, we, we love the business, first off. Uh, my mother and father... Uh, we're, we're bold enough to, to step out. Our first entry into the wine business was with two other families, the Beaver and Collins family at Con Creek Winery. Partnered up with, my dad started working with the winemaker John Henderson in, around probably uh, 74, 75, and we became partners there in 76. And he, he really enjoyed the business and decided that it, if we were gonna stay in it, that he wanted to have our, our own brand. A um, lot of sweat, blood, and tears along the way. It's uh, a complex business, a lot of moving parts. But once you get that ship going in the right direction, it, it can be very, very rewarding. So w- w- we love it. We have a passion for it. It's, uh, it's a lifestyle business. You, you eat, sleep, and drink it. Sure. It's not, not just a business that you go to and you produce this product and, and it's over. There's uh, a constant uh, entertainment and hospitality component that goes along with uh, this particular business. I mean, for me, it's very unique. I was tasting some of our Chardonnay, some of the, some of the 96, 97, 2001, 2002s, on up through 2010, skipping a few vintages in between, with some very close family friends that live in Virginia, and they were talking about they needed to start getting uh, into their cellar and drinking some of their uh, burgundies, white burgundies specifically. And I said, well, if you like white burgundies and you like Chardonnays that are a little caramelized, a little nutty, toasty, I said, we should, we should try some of our older Chardonnays. One of the things that allows me to explore and sample wines like I never have before is uh, the core Corban's a very handy tool for that, for it sure. Is t- it's a looking glass in, into wine. It's, it's, uh, it allows me to taste wines that I wouldn't usually open sure. and explore and determine uh, you know, what direction the wines are going. So that's been really, really handy. I've been using it about six years. But you know, more importantly, why, why we're staying a family business? Because we love it. And um, uh, it's, it's been an honor and a privilege to be involved in it with, uh, with my parents. Uh, my sister was involved in it for many, many years. And uh, she has uh, her, her uh, daughters coming into it. And we, there's five grandchildren in total, and we're hopeful that all five will come into it. But more importantly, it needs to be your, your passion. It needs to be something you enjoy. And we're, you know, we believe firmly as a family business, if it's not something that you love, then go out there and, and hopefully find uh, out what that mm-hmm. is you love and, and attack it, uh, achieve it. That's great. And it's clear that your, uh, your parents' vision of what Rambauer is, 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 is being 
fostered by you and the rest of the family because uh, everything you're talking about shows that. Well, and, and, and as I said, we just we have a great team of people uh, in in the winemaking department, uh, uh, in in our uh, direct consumer retail room area, in our administrative offices. Uh, there, there's just so so many moving parts uh, from the the sales and marketing side to the production side to the grape growing side to the uh, human resources and management uh, and and financial side of the business, you establish great appreciation for those individuals that have come in and embraced your family business. What's so unique for me is is the people that treat it like it's their own business. And, and that's Couldn't make it work without them. Yes, exactly. You, you provoked one more question with that last comment that you made, though. You talked about going back and tasting some of the back vintages. Clearly, you're making your wines to be able to be purchased, taken home, popped open, and enjoyed. How, how are they holding up? How are when you're going back 10, 15 years? How are they holding up? Beautiful. What are they showing? Uh, fantastic. I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, using the Coravin, I can have uh, here at the winery, I usually have about 20 to 30 bottles in motion that I've accessed, that I'm tasting, that I'm sharing with people. As I said, it, it's not that we don't want to hold on to wines for 5, 10, 15 years. It's, but, but there's a lot of expense and a lot of money that goes into this right. product. You know, you look at Chardonnays that you hold on to anywhere from one to two years before you release it into the marketplace. Uh, uh, Merlots and Cabernets tend to be, you know, anywhere from two to two, three, three years. years. And so it's, it's a lot of inventory carrying costs. It's a lot of expense. And so we also want wines that, that we, can, we can bring, you know, get those grapes off the vines, make some beautiful wines with them, and get them out to market. So it, it's a balance. Uh, yeah. And if, if people have the uh, storage area, the patience to be able to um, lay some wines down, maybe they buy three bottles or, or six bottles or 12 bottles, and they try, you know, a bottle every year or a bottle every third or fourth year. Uh, they can see how the wines will develop and and the uh, the bones, the provenance that the wines have to to stand up and continue to do well. I'm amazed with some of our older Chardonnays. I'll get people call us up and say, "Oh, I found a bottle of your, you know, 2004." 2006 Chardonnay in our cellar, and it was just fantastic. <laughs> That's you know, great e- to hear. Even though we're not, you know, necessarily making our wines to to age for that long, they do hold up. And it's um, terrific. And and I will say that with the caveat that you have to be able to understand and respect where wines are in their life cycle. Um, so it's a lot of fun. What's well, the last wine we have here? The last wine we're going to move towards is the uh, 2016 Rumbauer Zinfandel. And this is uh, out of the Napa County, Lake County, and uh, up in the Sierra Foothills, Amador, El Dorado County. So it's about 60% a- uh, fruit out of the Sierra Foothills, okay. El Dorado, Amador County. 20% Napa County, 20% Lake County. How long has your family been making Zinfandel? We've been producing Zinfandel since 1990. Okay. Yeah, we really we really enjoy the varietal. Um, you know, Napa Valley is incredibly well suited for Cabernet, but it it can uh, shine with many of the other red and white wine varietals also. Again, on the nose, I get a good fair amount of minerality and some nice purple flowers, and then there's that dark fruit. 
that that this, the, what you come to expect from California's in these these infidels tend to throw that dark berry fruit component mm. blackberry blueberry currant black cherry some zins can be peppery spicy some zins can be uh, you know stylistically a red claret style leaner more austere we tend to produce it in a in a more aromatic flavorful way but I, I want to throw bounce in there once there's a uh, it's it's the fruits there this yes. is a, this is about fruit first. Is it just fruity, or is there a little residual sugar in this? It's pretty it, fruity. Pri- primarily, it, it, we are we let the fruit hang on the vine um, longer. In fact, there's some a little shriveling, a little, little dehydration oh, that really? occurs. We only get about uh, fifty through about fifty-five cases per ton because of some of the concentration or dehydration that occurs while it's ripening up. It has that intensity, that fruit intensity true physiological fruit maturity, mm-hmm. not just not just, not just ripe, but phenolically or, ripe. Or sugar ripeness. Right. And w- once again, we've made lean austere styles of Zinfandels back in the early days, peppery spicy, and then, uh, you know, juicy jammy. We had some years where we thought, oh boy, all, all we're missing here is some, some peanut butter. We have the, <laughs> right? we have the jelly. I, yeah. I was presenting one this time isn't that. to a retailer, and he says, wow, I get it. I mean, he says, you're just, but you're missing one thing. And I, I thought to myself, how could we be missing anything else in this wine? He goes, you, you need some peanut butter with this, <laughs> meaning that it was just so jammy, so juicy. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not that jammy. It's 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 got a lighter body than that kind of jammy. We've, we've, we've toned it down just a little bit over the years. I think it still delivers the aromatics and the flavors that we enjoy, that our customers find very pleasing. But it's it's not over the top. It's not overly extracted. That's terrific. Well, Kara Rambauer, thanks so much for your time today. It was great to talk about wines that have a mass appeal and aren't like just the little geek wines that you know only appeal a little bit of people it was terrific to have you on the show and taste your wines well thank you so much and, and they all have their place i mean whether it's somebody that's that's starting out making four you know 200 400 cases of wine or they've been a home winemaker for a period of time and then they've they've you know dipped their feet into becoming a small boutique commercial winery they're all lovely uh and you know there's so many different varietals out there to explore Syrahs and Rieslings and the list goes on and on and on. We just happen to to focus on uh, what we think we can do well here in the Napa Valley and um, and consistently produce these kinds of wines that are hopefully very pleasing to our customers. So thank you so much. It's a privilege to to be on the show and share my family's wines with with your, uh, your listeners. Thank you. Cheers. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 